The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through mission, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. The scripture reading for this morning is found in Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Good morning and welcome to Restoration Southside. We're so delighted that you could join us online. We know these are weird times, but it's still good that we get to be together and experience some community and some mission. It's actually sort of a special time because in two days it will be the one-year anniversary of our first worship service at Restoration Southside. And I can tell you, for those of you who have been around, it has not been the year we were expecting. And yet God has been faithful, and he'll be faithful to us in the future as well. This passage is going to remind us of those truths, and so let's explore it together. Would you pray with me? Lord, would you have mercy on me, a sinner? I thank you and I praise you for your word and your Holy Spirit that even in these trying times that we can still be ministered to, we can still have our hearts lifted by singing and by praying and by being encouraged by your word. As hard as it is, we put our trust in you. Come what may, we put our trust in you. We ask that you would encourage our spirits this morning, that you would Focus our eyes on your son, that you would focus our eyes on the better city that is coming. We need you. The monotony and the fatigue and the aimlessness and the loneliness 
and the anxiety and the depression and the general malaise has caught up to us. We ask that you would lift and revive our spirits that we, your people, can be about the restoring of people and places. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Friends, a funny story came from the news yesterday. CBS reports that a volunteer firefighter in Indiana was waiting for his stimulus check to appear in his checking account. He went to take out $200, but he got an even bigger surprise, the article reports. He says he went to the ATM at the Family Express, and I once, withdrew, once I withdrew the $200 out of my checking account, I looked at the available balance still left in my account, Charles Calvin said. He's a single father of three. Instead of the extra $1,700 he was expecting in a stimulus package, there was 8.2 8 million dollars in his account. Calvin said he thought it must have been a glitch. So he swiped his card again, and to his surprise, the money was still there. Can you imagine going to a checking account, your checking account, and checking your balance and finding $8.2 million. You're looking for some help, some boost, some support. And your expectations would be way too low. Obviously and unfortunately, he has to give this money back. And he said, it's that moment when you go from being a millionaire one second and then back to being broke again. He said, but once you're poor, you don't have anywhere else to go but up. Calvin said the extra money would have been nice because the family, single father of three, doesn't have the internet at home. So his son has to do e-learning assignments on Calvin's cell phone. The reason that I tell you that story is because I think it gives us a picture of this chapter, Hebrews 11. These people were expecting some help, some support, some measure of encouragement, some sustenance from the Lord. And instead, they winded up with $8.2 million or so of God's generosity. And I think we as his people have to be careful that sometimes we think, sure, maybe he'll take care of us a little bit or God can help us some. But we have thought far too little of his generosity, far too willing Far too little of what he has planned for us. And this chapter reminds us that we can bet big on God because he will be faithful and he will be generous. So let's look at this passage together. We all struggle to have faith in times of trouble. Even these did. But because of God's generosity, we can put our trust in him. There's several things in this passage. First of all, it gives us a clear definition of faith. It's not exhaustive, but it is a helpful guide for us. What is faith? It says it right there in verse 1. It says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the certainty of things not seen. So first of all, faith in what? What is God calling us to? What are we to have faith in? Is it this general sense of everything will be okay? Or is it more clear, more specific than that? Is it vague optimism or is it something more specific 
in what it is? Well, first of all, we see from the text that it's faith in God's word. Look again in verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. The first thing that we're supposed to have faith in is the word of God. The word of God, that God is faithful, that God will see us through, that God will say, and that he will act in accordance with what he has said. And that seems so simple and so obvious, and yet it goes all the way back. Do you remember in the garden with Adam and Eve? The devil, what is the thing that he goes after for Adam and Eve? The answer is God's word. It says this in Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? You see, the first way that our faith in God is attacked is by the devil poking holes in what God has told us to be true. Did God really say that? Can God's word really be trusted? My question to you, friends, is what right now in your life are the things where the devil is saying, did God really say that? Did he really say that he'd be with you wherever you go? Did he really say that you can trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding? In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight? Does it feel like our paths are straight? Did God really say, be still? We can be still because we know that he is God at a time like this? Friends, Make no mistake, we are tempted with the very same thing Eve and Adam were tempted with in the garden is, did God really say? And that doesn't just point us to realities in the midst of COVID. That points us in the reality in the midst of our fight with sin. Did God really say these things about sex? Did God really say these things about how we're supposed to spend our money? Did God really say these things about how we're supposed to interact with one another? Did God really say these things about how generous we're supposed to be? One of the primary ways the devil attacks God's people, that our own sin and temptation attacks, is to ask ourselves the question, did God really say? And faith is first and foremost putting God's word above our voice and the devil's voice, and the culture's voice, and say, I know what God said. Friend, where in your life do you need to acknowledge what God has said and place it over and above what other voices you listen to? Well, it's faith in God's word. We see that there in the verse 3, but it's also faith in God's power. It said that he created the universe so that what is seen is not made out of things that are visible. He created the universe out of nothing. And so you're not only dealing with the credibility of God, you're also dealing with the power of God. That God is not only who he says he is, but that God can also do what he says he will do. And again, friends, when you're struggling and when you're low and when you're frustrated and when you're anxious, you will be tempted to think God can't do this. God can't redeem this. God can't make this better. Things are so wrong 
that it's irredeemable. And the Bible calls us to have faith in God's word and faith in God's power that he will do what he says he will do. And what will that do? What will it do if we have faith in God's word and faith in God's power? Well, it'll fuel us with hope for the future. Look again in verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith is the firstly the assurance of things hoped for. What faith is is saying, I know what I'm experiencing right now, but I know this isn't the whole story. I have assurance that there are things in the future that are coming for me that are real and that they are as sure as my present is right now. That's what these people will be honored as. Having faith is they, they were experiencing difficulty, but they were holding out for something more. They believed that more was coming. One of my favorite commentators says this, Faith is looking at God and trusting Him for everything. And hope is looking at the future and trusting God for it. And I want you to see over and over again in Hebrews 11, it'll say, by faith, by faith, by faith. The reason that I want to show you that is because it doesn't say by knowledge. It wasn't by knowledge that these heroes of the faith did these things. It wasn't because they knew how it was all going to work out. It wasn't because they knew what God was up to. It wasn't because they knew specifically where their story would go. It's because they had faith. And the reason I tell you that is to encourage you. Some of you are saying, I don't know what God's doing. I don't know how to understand a powerful God in the midst of all this. I don't know where my story will lead. That's okay. God has called you to faith, not to knowledge. And we'll see several examples about that in the scripture. He wants you to trust him. He wants you to put His word and his power above your instinct and say, I don't even trust myself, but I trust God will see me through. That's what the people of God have been doing over and over again. It's an assurance and a conviction. It's not just this optimism as, you know, things will get better. The sky will clear up. It's not just the sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar there'll be sun. It's this certain conviction anchored in the word of God and the power of God. So faith fuels hope. So let me apply this for you. If you're not sure how much faith you have, ask yourself how much hope you have. Now this is a very scary question for me to ask because I struggle deeply with anxiety, fears about what will be, fears about the future. And what that says to me is that I have more faith in the unknown than I do in the personal, living, powerful God of the Bible. I have more faith in what can go wrong than, more than faith in what God will do right. If you need to know how much faith you have, look at how much hope you have. And again, even those of us who struggle... And don't have a lot of hope. This isn't to shame us. It's in fact to lift up our eyes and free us. To say if we believe we can have more hope. Even though we can't see we can have more hope. Even though we don't understand we can have more hope. Surely these people didn't get it all right. And we'll talk about that. But it gives us the freedom to say wait a second. I believe in God and his existence and his generosity. 
And if I believe in God and his existence and his generosity, there are better days coming. I don't know what they'll look like. I don't know what they'll feel like. I can't envision it right now, but there are better days coming. That's what he's saying. And when you begin to remind yourself of that and be reminded of that by others, you'll begin to feel more hope. But if we fill our hearts and minds nonstop with all of the things that could go wrong, we're fueling fear instead of fueling hope. Where is your faith amid the coronavirus? Is it in a vaccine? Is it in more antibody testing? Is it more opening the government, opening the country so that we can begin to heal the economy? Or is your faith in the fact that God said he will be with his people and that he will see them through and God will get it done? Anchor your hope to something more. Anchor your hope to the God of the Bible who says, I will get it done. Faith fuels hope for the future, which is what we need right now. Faith also equips sight in the invisible. It said it right in the text. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So faith fuels your hope for the future, but faith also gives you new eyes for things that others can't see. New eyes for things that others can't see. Meaning whatever is going on in this text with these heroes, whatever they were seeing, they were seeing more than others because they had faith. They could see the invisible. They knew that God was doing more than it appeared like he was doing. That should bring us comfort right now that God is doing more than it appears like he is doing. Some of you know the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. It's this incredible story about George Bailey. But George Bailey goes through this long process of feeling like his life has no value. He can't see it. He can't see that there's hope. He can't see that there are realities around him that are bigger than he is. That there are roles to play right now that are bigger than he is, than his own life is. And so he despairs and he wants to take his own life because George Bailey can't see it. He can't see that his children need him, that his wife needs him, that his family needs him, that the town needs him. He can't see it. He can't possibly imagine that there's something more going on than what he can just see. Friends, sometimes when we're hurting, it's hard to see it. It's hard to see what else could be going on. It's hard to see the invisible. This week, a tornado? My first thought was, God, during COVID-19, during the coronavirus, during a, a broken economy and death, a tornado? I just couldn't see it. I just couldn't see that possibly God was doing and is doing more than I expect him to be doing, more than I can perceive with my eyes. Do you see it? One of our members this week I was talking to on the phone and he had actually called to encourage me. And he said, it's sad and it's tragic and it's overwhelming. 
And it's crazy and it's exhausting. And as we were coming to the end of our conversation, he said, but you know what? I can't wait to see how God uses the coronavirus for his church and for the world. That's somebody who, despite all of our experience, sees that this isn't the sum total of the story. This isn't it for us. And he sees or longs to see where God will do more than we expect him to do, do more than we see him doing now. Some of you remember the magic eye books. They were big when I was growing up. It's these books that you open up and you look at, and there's all these colors and waves and lines, and hidden within the image, there's something beautiful. There's, there's a boat, or there's a sailboat, or there's a bridge. And what you're supposed to do is hold the book close to your face and slowly back it out until you can see it. I hate those books. I would stare at them for so long trying to figure out and then people would walk up behind me and say, oh, look at the sailboat. Look at the sunrise. Isn't that so beautiful? And I would look at them and look at the book and say, what are you talking about? I can't see it. God's people are supposed to be the ones who can see that there's more that's going on and so that it fuels our faith and it fuels the faith of the people around us. It models behavior that we're holding out hope, not because of some vague sense that the sun will come out, but because Jesus himself has committed himself to his people. Faith fuels hope. Faith also fuels our sight and things that are un invisible. And then faith acts. Faith acts. It's important that we say that because ultimately, chapter 11 here is a picture of faith in action. So yes, we can talk for a long time, and I'll talk with you about what we think, about what we know, about how it puts itself together. We can talk through the questions and the criticisms of Christianity. We can talk through your doubts and my doubts, but ultimately, faith acts when it's Real, when you see what God is doing in the future, when you see what God is doing in the present, it moves everyone in this text to get up and do something. So if you're watching today and you're not sure what you think about this Jesus, not sure what you think about this call of Christianity, I'm not sure. I just want to think and consider and, and walk. I, I don't know if I'm going to be called to anything. Now you take your time. But faith will always call you into action. You won't be the main thing, and you'll be made, make lots of mistakes along the way, but faith will always call you into action. That's what this text is all about. Not perfectly by any means, but no one who is called to Jesus walks easily. My friend Brian Salter said, Following Christ let never leads to a neat and manageable life. It's so convicting because honestly, that's what I want. I want a white, I want a life that is neat and manageable. And yet God keeps calling me to act in faith. So faith fuels our hope for the future. Faith gives us sight to trust in Jesus for things that are now. 
And faith ultimately acts. Well, let's walk through these here of the faith and we'll do it quickly because the author here does it quickly and because he tells us what each application is as he goes. Faith does those things. Faith fuels hope. Faith fuels sight. Faith acts. And crazy enough, faith pleases God. Faith pleases God. You see this action and then reward. Action and then reward. These are heroes of faith. It says in verse 2, For by it the people of old received their commendation. What he's saying there is that God is proud of these people because of their action. God is proud of these people because of their action. Because they believed in him. They believed in him. Look at verse 6. It'll give us a, a sense of what it means. It says this, by faith, Enoch was taken up to death, so that he sh- was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Forever, who would draw near to God must believe that he exists, one, and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, let's be clear. I am not saying that good actions generally done are rewards for God or that good actions generally done please God in such a way that he would move. What I am saying is that God loves to see when his people put trust in him above anything else and the conviction that God will be generous with them. Meaning their God is so trustworthy, so powerful that he will be generous to his people. And I think that's ultimately where we see this guy who's looking at his checking account expecting $1,700 and instead finds $8.2 million. That's how we are with God. We expect him to be a little generous. We expect that he exists, but we don't expect that he's generous. We don't expect that he's generous towards us. We think he's a curmudgeon. An angry father who will only give out any more, no more than he has to. And the Bible here tells us that we should expect and trust that he exists and that we should trust that he rewards those who seek him. You see, the reward isn't just for action. It's for seeking God with our actions. And that's what they do. Faith says, I trust God and he will get it done. Works alone say, I trust myself, and given the right circumstances, I will get it done. So it's faith and action. It's action and then reward. Look in verse 4. Our first example, he says, By faith Abel offered to God more than an acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, he died. though he died, he still speaks. The action of Abel is that he had this heart of worship. He gave in such a way that God saw the sincerity of his worship, the sincerity of his sacrifice. And his reward is that his blood still speaks. It's hard to look at this story and think that anyone watching thought there was a reward. How could there be a reward? He worshiped God and he got killed for it by an angry brother. 
What that means for you and me is that there are big things that happen to us in the course of following Jesus. Losses, infertility, divorce, bankruptcy. And it would feel like that was the end of the story, but our blood can still speak in following God just like Abel's does. We see that Abel worshipped and sacrificed. Jesus calls him righteous Abel in Matthew 23. His blood still speaks. So his action was worship and sacrifice and his reward was that his testimony still lives today. His blood still speaks. And it ultimately points us to better blood that can cover our sin in Jesus Christ, the second Adam. If you need an example of this, think about Jim Elliott. Some of you know the story of Jim Elliott. He was a Christian who was a missionary who was killed by participating in ministering to the Aka tribe. That's what it was called then. He was killed. The first contact, first face-to-face contact he ever had with the tribe, and they murdered him. And two years later, his wife returns to these people, ministers to them, and the tribe largely converts to Christianity. Now, from the outside, this guy who was winning, who was awesome, who was faithful, who was strong, he goes away and he dies right away on this mission. But his blood still spoke. The tribe was converted to Christianity. His blood still speaks, still speaks so much that many of us know the name Jim Elliot. His blood still speaks. Jesus' blood on your behalf still speaks. And it speaks to you saying, you can trust me because look how far I've come for you. Abel was called to die. Jim Elliot was called to die. Friends, what are the deaths that you're called to that instead you're trying to dodge and cling to some form of life. Let's look at Enoch. It says it in verse 5. He says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he could not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. His action is that he walked with God. Genesis 5.24 says, After the birth of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God. It's this small sense that he wasn't walking with God, has a son, and then starts walking with God. The Bible leaves him largely unscathed, just like Abel. And his reward is that he didn't die. He walked with God, and therefore he didn't die. And why is that supposed to mean something to us? We have Abel who died in these dramatic and tragic and hard ways, and we're called to that. We have Enoch who just followed God, who walked with him, who loved him for 300 years. Now, we don't understand the timing and the life cycle back then, but the Bible that we can trust says for 300 years he walked with God. This is long, slow obedience in the same direction as Eugene Peterson calls it. He walked with God. And it's supposed to encourage our faith that faith is not in the shining martyr moments most of the time. Faith is in the small daily dependence on God. How are you fostering a culture of dependence upon God in a long, slow way for your life? Like Enoch did. Well, so that the Bible doesn't want us to think that faith is just for people that are good like Abel. Or people that are good like Enoch. It points us to Noah and Abraham 
to way more imperfect guys. Now, the other guys certainly had sin, but these guys, it's way more obvious. You have Noah and we have Abraham, guys who had faith even though they were a mess. For Noah, verse 7, it says this, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. The action for Noah is that he obeys what God says and he does so in the face of people that would laugh at him. The reward is that his family is is rescued. He's given an inheritance of righteousness. For Noah, 120 years of building a boat when there had been no rain. Can you imagine how the people started to laugh at him and joke at him at his expense? And for 120 years, the Bible tells us, he does what God says. And it says it in 6.22, and it says it here in 7.5. Noah did everything just as God commanded him because of demonstrating faith with slow, routine obedience. Friends, most of following God isn't in dramatic moments where we have to give up our lives. Most of it is in this slow trusting in God over what everyone else around us is telling us. And Noah did that for 120 years. What we learn from Noah is is that we are going to have to obey even when it makes no sense to anyone around us. Where in your life do you need to obey even though it doesn't make sense to people that don't know Jesus? And then you see Abraham Verses 8 through 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that it received as an inheritance. He went off, he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. The action is that he obeys, he goes, he lives as a stranger. The reward is that he becomes an heir of the righteousness. He will live in that great city one day. He becomes the father of all nations. What do these examples mean for us? Abel obeyed and sacrificed. Where is God calling you to obey and sacrifice? Enoch walked with God in daily life. How are you building a culture of living before the face of God? Noah obeyed in the face of ridicule. Where have you compromised too much and have made your lives so much like the people you're trying to minister to that it's indiscernible to them that there's something different about you? Abraham obeyed and went where God called him and lived as a foreigner. Where do you need to obey and to whom do you need to go and live as salt and light? You see, in these things, we see that faith will lead to action and to lead to reward will lead to obedience and a reward far greater than we see. Let's close here in verse 13. It says this, These all died in faith, not having things, the things received, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Faith looks forward lastly to a better city. Abraham, going, not knowing where he was going, was looking forward to a better city. Ultimately, it could have been Jerusalem and the temple And God's people, the center of the world at that time. 
But there was something even better coming. He knew he needed to obey and to follow and to trust that even the things that seem far off will be made full and whole in Christ. That it's okay to live as a stranger and as an exile. We need that same faith. When we don't understand what's coming in the future, when we can't see what's happening in the present, we need the faith that says, I don't get it, but I believe. I don't get it, but I'll obey. I'm not sure, but I'll live differently with my trust in you, despite what everyone else will be saying. We are looking at our accounts and we're expecting that there's going to be some remuneration, some supplement, some resourcing because we follow God. When really what comes is going to blow our minds that no eye has seen or mind has conceived for those who love God. We expect too little of what's coming for us. This better city, this whole relationship with God and with each other, this better world forever. We expect too little when our God is generous. My parents recently moved to the mountain. It's where they're gonna spend some of their retirement days. And since the coronavirus, they've sort of hunkered down here and lived alongside of us, helping us with homeschooling and five children and the chaos that is our lives. And my kids will ask my dad for anything and he will always give it to them. Papa, take us to Starbucks. Papa, take us to the gas station for snacks. Papa, may I have $50 for cleaning my room? Papa, Papa, will you get this? Will you buy this? We actually had to talk them down and say, kids, you have to ask us before you ask Papa something or Nina something because they will give it to you. And that's not always good for you. My kids expect generosity from their grandparents. We as God's people should expect generosity from God. Not maybe God will see us through, maybe God will meet our needs, maybe God will bring hope and healing, but I am certain that God plans to generously restore this world and generously take care of his people. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that we expect some Generosity, some help, some sustenance. But we have set our expectations far too low. Would you help us to anchor our faith in your son Jesus so that we can have hope for a future. So that we can see things as they ultimately are now with faith. So that we can act in whatever you're calling us to do. To worship and obey and sacrifice and live as strangers in this world. If we knew what was coming for us. Our faith would be so much bigger. Father we ask that you would fuel our minds with the generosity of God found in Christ Jesus. He who would not withhold his own son. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Let us trust in that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.